it's the athlete who's the mid to back of the pack athlete who who frankly is working just as hard as the athletes that are finishing in the top 10 right the performance ends up being different but the effort is the same it's those people who day in and day out for 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 you know for an entirety of a of, of a training cycle for a four month period of time will lean in on their training not to chase a podium but to be the best version of themselves those are the people that inspire me right for me josh it's never been it's never been the professional athlete it's never been the elite athlete i don't really get much from those stories quite honestly i admire those people I, I, and i and i i can have admiration for them but i don't necessarily draw any inspiration from them i draw inspiration from the comeback stories the stories of people who have overcome adversity and who and who have become the best version of themselves despite the odds those are the people that inspire me because because then it's it's really easy for me to look at my challenges and to put those challenges in perspective you know i'm healthy i i have a i have a great family i have all the resources that i would ever need what challenges do i have you know what are my excuses why aren't i working to be the best version that i can be Hey there podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in beautiful Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you follow the show, thank you very much and also welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports. As an exercise physiologist, coach, race director and athlete, told to the stories of the important, influential and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Social media takeovers are all the rage nowadays, and a quick internet search reveals there's definitely a right way and a wrong way to do it. Josh Ferentz is one of my favorite people. Shortly after he appeared on this podcast as a guest, he approached me with the idea of turning the tables by taking over the show as the host and having me sit in the guest chair. Although I consider myself a pretty private person, the spirit of the show is in some small way an opportunity to tell my story through the stories of the important people in my life. So here we are. Josh is a wild card. He provided me with no outline for the direction of the conversation. So, let's see how it goes. If nothing else, Josh will be entertaining. I hope you enjoy. Hey Chris, what's up? I'm going to introduce you to your own show. Uh so we have Chris Dunn coming on to his own show. Give us a little feedback in a second. I'm Josh Ferentz. Doing a little bit of a takeover. Chris, you've invested yourself in the ultra running fitness realms and worlds and been asking a lot of great questions to a lot of great people and a lot of forgettable people. We're going to come back to a couple of each of those cuz some of the forgettable people are on my hit list that you 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 caused the problem, my friend. You caused a problem. But no, in all likelihood, it's an amazing podcast. 
Um, I think it's time that maybe we flipped it a little bit and asked you a few questions. Uh, I'm Josh Ferentz again. I'm going to try to be less manic than when I was the guest. Now that I'm the host, I have some questions prepared. Um, and don't worry, hey, Chris, hey, don't worry. Look, look, let, let me, let me stop you there for a minute. Okay. Because this, I will say that, um, this, this does feel a little self-serving to me. Um, but, but whereas, you know, Rogan's people haven't called my people, um, I guess being, being a guest on my own show with you as the host is a pretty solid plan B. I just, I just wanted to get that out there. Well, I just oh, think, oh, and I'll also say too that, yeah, I also say too that this, this kind of feels a little bit like when I taught my daughters how to drive. I, I don't, I don't know how to take that, except I like it. Like, I like it. Um, and we're going to talk about that more. <laughs> so um, I just think it's, it's neat. I want to say, I think I'm going to speak on behalf of all your guests, how appreciative we are to have someone like you in our community, uh, representing the Northeast and a lot of local runners who we kind of, we bump into each, a lot of us at a lot of right races and a lot of events. And I mean, you're going to talk to a lot of people and you got my big mouth. And so I'm not afraid to say thank you. So I just want to thank you in advance before we kind of jump into some questions that, I prepared um, based on interest, based on things I've heard. <clears throat> um, and I mean, don't worry, Chris, most of it will still be about me, but I, well, for- <laughs> well, I'm, I kind of, ex- I kind of expect yeah. that. Well, I, I, I appreciate those, um, those kudos, you know um, I mean, I'm sure as you can appreciate um, you know, the, the East coast sometimes in the trail and mountain and ultra scene doesn't I don't think necessarily always gets the the due that it's that it's uh, uh, that it's deserved, um, and for sure you know the, the there are there are some incredibly elite athletes that come from the Midwest uh, and 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 West Coast that that come east right and and uh, uh, you know take home trophies and and medals from the East Coasters but uh, I mean I'm from the East Coast my bias is East Coast. My network is largely East Coast, and so I've I've had a really good time uh, and, and enjoyed featuring East Coast people because I don't necessarily think they always get there just due. No, it's it's hard it's hard here. You can, everybody can leave and go to other places, and everybody can leave, but it's hard to stay. But um, I ha- I have a couple things to start. Um, I'm just kind of curious, like how would you quantify? the unicorn sex appeal that I exude that people want to know more about. Wait, wait, no, stop. Wrong question. Wrong question. Sorry. No, I have one. Bombacilla sidrorum. When I say the word Bombacilla sidrorum, does that have any meaning to you? Um, it, it, it doesn't, but it, it sounds Latin to me. And, uh, it, uh, it sort of puts me in, in mind of, uh, um, of a bird name. Um, I, quick story. So, so I was a zoology major at the university of New Hampshire. And, um, one of my favorite classes as an undergrad at the university of New Hampshire was an elective. I took an ornithology class, uh, with Dr. Arthur Borer. Now this was Arthur Borer, uh, junior, his father, Arthur Borer senior, uh, actually started the ornithology lab at Cornell, this world famous ornithology lab. And I, I just, I love that class, class about, about birds. 
fast forward many years later, um, kind of bored one summer. So I had to uh, learn the scientific names of as many of the birds that would visit our backyard as I possibly could. Um, and, you know, of all the things that I can't remember anymore, and there's a lot of most things I can't remember anymore, you know, I'll never forget Cyanata cristata, Cardinalis cardinalis, Mimis polyglottis, right? These are all these are all scientific names of the common birds that we would find in our backyard, blue jays, cardinals, mockingbirds. So the name that you mentioned, no, it doesn't sound familiar to me, but it does remind me of that summer that I learned the scientific names of the birds that would visit our backyard. So that's actually perfect because the Babacilla sidrorum is the bird that I thought of when I was thinking about like how to introduce you really to the guests of your own show. Um, and also because I think what it represents, it's a cedar waxwing. And a cedar waxwing is one of my favorite birds. They have a cool little black uh, eye patch, like a bandit. And they are, I think, really awesome. Like our host, that's now the guest. Uh, they're elusive, but they also, they represent the Northeast. They represent home and they also are, are doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes to, and they're not always present in your face. And I felt like that's a lot of like what your podcast is. You're doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes with a lot of people and giving representation to that. But when you sit long enough and you're able to sit in an area, um, the waxing will present itself. And I thought it was a really cool bird that reminded me of you. So I was like, oh, let's go. Well, you know, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's funny that you use that example. That was not, uh, one of the birds, scientific names that I, that I memorized. Uh, but it is one of my favorite birds to see. And, you know, the interesting thing about the cedar waxwing, as you probably know, uh, is that they, um, is that they tend to, they tend to, uh, they tend to flock. They tend to hang out together. It's rare that you see a solitary one. So anytime you see one, right. Um, you got to look closely because there's probably others around too. Now, I don't know if that necessarily is a parallel to me, um, but, but I will say that, um, I mean, I've had the good fortune to be a member uh, of a couple different flocks, if you will, you know, the trail running flock, um, the gravel cycling flock, the mountain running flock, uh, short stint in the triathlon flock. So I've, I've, I've had an opportunity um, uh, you know, to, to be, to be a member of those groups. And, and, you know, the, the other interesting thing I think about the Cedar Waxwing, and maybe it is a parallel to me. Um, it's rare that one individual stands out in that group, right? I mean, they're all typically, they're all obviously very typically uniform and, and, and coloring and size and, and, um, kind of, for me, that that sort of fits my personality as well. I don't like standing out. Um, I'm not one to really bring attention to myself. Uh, if I can blend in with the flock, I'm I'm totally cool with that. So pretty good example, Ference. Pretty good example. Um, yeah, and like the like you said, you don't see just one. You got to sit back and wait, and you'll see a whole bunch. And I feel like that's a great representation of a lot of stuff that how you've been able to dabble. Um, so my next question kind of going from that would be like, how would you want to be, um, how do you want to present yourself to your listeners as not a host, the main host as like an alternate, um, like side host guest to this? Like, how do you want to be, how do you want to present yourself as the guest? 
how would you like to be seen? <clears throat> well, when I, when I think about um, who I am, you know, um, the answer is probably longer and more complicated than, uh, than you were probably banking for, but, but I see myself as, uh, as a son, as a brother, as a husband, as a father, as an uncle, as a nephew, a cousin, you know, I'm a business owner. I'm an exercise physiologist. I'm a professional endurance coach and I'm an athlete. Now I'm completely fine with, with, um, whoever is, you know, whoever is evaluating me or, or whoever is, is trying to figure me out to attempt to figure me out from their own perspective. Cause I don't, I don't feel like I need to be one thing. I mean, truthfully, none of us are ever one thing, right? So as I think of, as I think of myself and, 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 and how I want to present who I am, my hope is that all those things come across because I, I really bristle at just being identified as one thing. I'm not just a runner or I'm not just a business owner. You know, I'm, I'm a lot of different things and I may not be great at everything, but that's, but that's, that's how I would define myself in, in those various ways. I think we talked about that last time. Like I didn't like, I don't like labels by myself because like, uh, you asked me who I am. <laughs> I was like, uh, I gave the most long, but I didn't know how to answer it because it was like, I, I don't, it depends on what day it is. It, like we can change on our moods and, um, different things like that. And I think that's important. That's why we are, you introduced me as your friend. I thought that was awesome. I think I, I think I actually asked who is the real Josh Ferentz. I think that's, that's who I asked what, what I asked, not, not necessarily who you are, but who's the real Josh Ferentz. Right? Yeah. As I'm, yeah. as I'm thinking back to that episode too, because, you know, for you at least, um, and, and when I've, what I've always enjoyed and appreciated about you is that, um, <laughs> you have the ability to, 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 to sort of put on different masks de depending on, depending on the situation and what the situation calls for. I mean, I, I, I know you, I know you a little bit better than most people. And so I think the, you know, the person that doesn't, that only knows you from the guy that shows up and runs without his shirt on and wins races, doesn't really know the the real Josh Ferentz that I know. That's why I think I asked that question. Who is the real Josh Ferentz? So who is the real Chris Dunn? I think it's a, that's a reasonable follow-up question. I'm probably all of those things. And I'm, I'm, I probably am. Um, I am in the moment um, who that other individual is, is thinking that they perceive me to be, I guess is the best way I could describe it. I like that. Yeah. Well, if you don't, Hey, our perceptions can come become our reality. So hopefully to each their own. Um, I kind of, I'm kind of curious at the point of detailing these first steps in the podcast, because you see a lot of memes. It's like two middle-aged men look at each other, like, let's make a podcast on Tuesday. And I've been, I've been peppering podcasts lately. There's, I'm not going to name drop them here because you got, you do your thing. I'm going to, but like, there's a couple podcasts where they were asking a buddy of mine a question and it was kind of a controversial question. And the, one of the hosts was like, I love the questions right now. These are riveting. I'm on the edge of my seat. It's like, they're the most boring things in the world. And so I just listened to your podcast, not because I was on it. I know it was number four. I, we'll talk about it later, but I'm just, 
I do feel that the the realm of how you're sculpting and kind of coming out, like, can you just detail like the origins? Like what, how did you, like, how do you make, how are you trying to make it or how do you make it meaningful and dynamic? Mm-hmm. Because it both is meaningful because people are leaving it with meaning. And then it has the dynamic piece of different elements. So like, what's the origin of that? Like, where did that come from? And, and also like the title, can you tie that in? Yeah. So I think what, what makes, my show unique, I think in, in, in my mind anyway, is that, um, I mean, at least up to this point now, I, I guess I'm going to be guest number 61, um, on my own show, but up to this point, the other 60 guests that I've had, um, are, are very much for the most part, people that I know, uh, that I have at least some relationship with. And so, um, and so it's rare in fact, I can't remember a time in which it's happened that the conversation has felt awkward because it's because we're strangers, because that 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 isn't the case. Again, essentially, everyone that's been on the show is someone that I know. And so I think. I mean, we we've all had the opportunity to sit in on a conversation between two people who know each other, and it's it's always a, a very free flowing back and forth, not awkward conversation that's what i'm that's that's what i'm attempting really to do with with the show um is for these conversations to just feel natural you know as if you were uh, you and i were hanging out on my porch and we were just we were going back and forth with cushions i have a natural curiosity about things um and so it's it's not hard for me to to dig in on on people's backgrounds particularly the stuff that that not a lot of people know about. That's what I, that's what I find personally interesting uh, about the stories of the, the people that have been on the show and, and the, the, the stories of the people who will be on the show. Essentially, Josh, the idea uh, for the podcast, um, it's a way for me to tell my story through the stories of the, of the, you know, interesting, influential and important people in my life. And I realized that, um, you know, just before the creation of the show, I realized that, you know, over the last three or four decades, I've met a lot of really interesting people. I mean, a lot of really interesting people. Um, and that's a blessing. It's a, it, it, it's a gift. And I, and I also really, I also truly believe that, Everyone has a story. You know, I, I, I've had a number of people who I've approached um, initially push back and say to me, I, I just don't think my my life is all that interesting. Why would you want me on the show? And and uh, I mean, I, I I can I can get it. I, I, I appreciate that. But again, I also feel like everyone has a story. Yeah. And that's what I'm and that's kind of what I'm trying to. But that's what I'm trying to, to, to present. Now, there are, all, there are overarching themes of the podcast. I really like stories about overcoming adversity. I like stories of, of perseverance. Um, I like comeback stories. These are all the things that I find personally interesting. Of course, it, you know, because of my, my, my professional and personal background, they always have a slant in health or wellness and, and fitness. Um, where did the name of the podcast come from? eat half walk double. Well, I wasn't going to name the show after myself. Again, I, 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 that's not who, that's not who I am. Uh, I don't need the show to be named after me. Um, and so as I was, as I was 
thinking about what to call the show, I, I, I did what probably most people do. I just started looking at names of other podcasts and try to see if I could find some inspiration. I didn't. Um, and so, so then I was, then I, then I was, I was left with, um, well, there must be, cause I love quotes. Uh, I get that from my dad who, who, who loves to, who, who loves to drop quotes all the time. So I thought, you know, there must be a quote. There's gotta be a quote that I could use as the name of the podcast. So I just did your typical internet search for interesting quotes. And I eventually landed upon, uh, a Tibetan proverb. Right. That that the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Now that's a long proverb, and it wasn't going to fit as a title. So I thought, well, um, <laughs> the, the eat half, walk double part. You know, if you didn't know anything about the podcast, uh, and you didn't know anything about me, you'd think it was something to do with exercise and nutrition. Well, it's really not a show about exercise and nutrition, although I'm an exercise physiologist and I, I do specialize in performance nutrition. It's only when you listen to the show that you realize that it's much more than, than, than the obvious exercise and nutrition podcast, that it really is about the secrets to living well. That's, that's where the, the title of the show came from. It's ironic because like the secrets to living well, I like that. Um, cause I went, I've been at a couple of races since, uh, I was at the recent son of P mountain championships and someone said, listening to my podcast, it lets you understand everything you don't want to be in a human. I was like, well, that's awesome. <laughs> cool. Great. Um, was, ironic, that a friend, was that a friend of yours? Not anymore. <laughs> <Take them out. laughs> no, they, uh, they, we just, we, it was like you said, a, an interesting conversation coming about it two different ways or, I'm going to come at it with an adversarial background. I want to make it like you said, uh, adversity, overcoming perseverance, persistence. Um, one of my next things here is one of my greatest gifts is I never give up, but sometimes you need to let go. And there's a very diff there's a difference between giving up and letting go. Um, and so this other person was very celebratory. So like the two quotes that I brought today are kind of interesting myself. It's, um, they were, they're kind of viral right now, but it's something about, um, when you love, here it is. So I got, I got switched it over. Uh, when you like a flower, you pluck it, but when you love a flower, you water it daily. So it's a difference between what you got to like, what you do versus what you love, what you do. Um, and of course I rolled into Mike Tyson immediately. That was Buddha right to Mike Tyson, who it's like, you got to discipline yourself and do what you hate. Like you love it. And so you got like two polar opposites, Buddha and Mike Tyson. I mean, you really can't you really can't go wrong with Buddha or Mike Tyson together. Right. Um, but they are really neat because just how people will approach those things. It's interesting that you, um, how you're describing yourself to the listeners, because if you do a deep dive into some things like you, you've established that reputation of the honesty and very like, like getting attention enough, but also it's almost like you're deflecting it. So you're attracting it, but also, um, deflecting it to others. Um, would you, do you have the same objective and goal for each listener? Like is the goal look, my goal for this episode is do you have an objective that changes from guest to guest based on who the guest is, or is the objective really just about sharing the story of people? Well, it's always about sharing. It's always about helping to bring out the story, um, from the guest. Um, and <clears throat> 
I, I mean, ultimately, I, 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 I would love the listener to to walk away from the podcast um, being being entertained, um, being informed, and being inspired. I mean, if I can entertain, inform, and inspire, I, I mean that's that's an amazing trilogy of things to be able to. Um, uh, you know, to share with, with, with someone else. Now we may not necessarily hit all three of those notes, uh, on every show. Um, but I, but I guarantee every show has had some measure, um, uh, of entertainment, inspiration and, and information sharing for sure. Now, just anecdotally, do you feel that a lot of podcasts when they bring on hosts, they sometimes will cater a little bit too much and will avoid having hard conversations? Um, cause you, you're bringing on people, you know, so maybe a hard conversation could be a little bit easier with people, you know, but there's some people, I feel like a lot of podcasts avoid the opportunity to have hard conversations in a world where I think it's really easy for us to have hard conversations. Um, if by hard conversations, you mean get into difficult subjects. Um, yeah, yeah um, I, I think you're absolutely right. I do think it's much easier. It's much easier for people to let their guard down. Um, and, and, and let me, and let, let me and the listener in, um, on, on some of those more difficult conversations to have conversations about, well, things like mental health, um, things like physical, uh, physical issues, maybe things that, that people wouldn't ordinarily share willingly. Um, and, and by the way, I, Anytime I'm going to delve into, into difficult topics, I have cleared that with the guest. I never spring upon the guest. I never ask a guest to talk about a difficult subject that I haven't already asked them if they would be willing to, to talk about. So I don't, I, I, I never ambush a guest mm -hmm. um, with something like that. And interestingly enough, or maybe not, not so interesting or not so surprising, again, mo everyone that's been on the show is somebody that I know personally. Um, I've not had anyone say, you know what, I, I wouldn't, I would rather not talk about X, Y, or Z. Um, and that's, it's a great thing about, about the people that have been, been on my show is they've been very willing and very open to talk about some, some difficult, difficult subject. But I do, I do, I do, I do think you're right there. I do think the, the relationship between the, 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 the host and the guest, I do think makes it easier for people to open up and, and talk about some of the more difficult things to talk about. Yeah, because I, I um, I always wonder we're gonna get to some of those. I think I don't know. Say uh, we're gonna get to some of those topics, but we might have, we might come back to that piece because like a lot of the guests you bring on are coming from different areas, and like you said, they have something for a lot of other people who may need just to hear something at that time. Uh, I know we covered a couple of those things where people just, you know, it's like a buffet. You can take what you need, and you don't need it. You might not need everything, and it's hey, you have. And then uh, walk away double. So yeah, but I think it's important because, like you said, some people may their story they might not feel their story is important, which I do, I can't understand. I can't understand how someone won't value their story because they're being asked that question. And as an educator of children, I see this all the time. Like I'm gonna ask a kid a question. Oh, it's not. No, I'm I'm actually showing reciprocity of energy. I want to hear from you because I I value that. Even if I care, I'm the only person, even if you're the only person that cares, you're, you really represent a thousand people. I think each person represents a thousand other opportunities that could share that story. So I think that's really, 
I, I just can't. When you said that, I was almost like having a, a mental panic attack over here. Like, well, who said that? Um, like, Come on. Can't well, live like that. Well, I, as I'm sure you can appreciate, Josh, um, self-confidence as a commodity um, is um, it's it's a wealth that is not equally shared. Um, some people, yourself included, or or interestingly enough, <laughs> may, may, maybe the way you present yourself may actually not necessarily be a sign of, of high self-confidence. It may be a, a sign of, of, of waning self-confidence from time to time. And we don't have to get too deep into that, but there's, there's a possibility there. But the truth is, I think that, um, um, is that self-confidence issues uh, and self-confidence challenges are a big deal for many, for many people. Um, and, 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 and again, <laughs> I think, I think sometimes the people that seem to display the greatest amount of self-confidence, sometimes, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a facade. Sometimes it's a, it's an empty shell. Maybe they're presenting that way because they don't really know how to deal with feeling insecure sometimes or feeling less confident than they feel that they probably should. That was a decade ago. Parents sometimes like, so I, when you say that, I like that you said that because I got to the point of understanding where my securities were. Like, I feel really confident and like, I don't understand my training, like training is different, like showing up to a race under trained and like, you could be overconfident and you're, that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> um, but it's like just knowing yourself. So the security and the, who I am as a human being, as like a father and educator, a coach, I feel really, uh, secure there. I'm grounded. I feel like I have some people in my life that like, well, you said you're a son, you're a husband, you're a, a father. So you hit on those uh, a moment ago. Um, I'd be curious the, what the hoodie would say, uh, the hoodie before the hoodie about what they felt, how you represent yourself or what your wife might say. So it's, uh, what do you, what would your dad describe you as before? Cause I'm jumping all, off a little bit. Cause you got me thinking about that. My own securities uh, talking to another person who I'm perceiving as a secure human. Cause real knows real your dad's going to, what would your dad describe you as? Uh, well, I can only present it in a way, uh, uh, in, in, I can only present it from my own perspective. In other words, the way that I would hope that he would, perceive me because I, I i really i really don't i really don't know I've, I've i've never had the opportunity to be a fly on the wall as as you know as as he would as he might talk about who i am but um hard working successful honest boy if i mean if if my if my dad would describe me in with you know with those three scripters you can't do any better than that no i i like uh i felt like what the way when you interviewed your father and then the way that i feel about how i would talk about my father we share a very similar um i think just family view of what's important to us um i like to do those games it's like all right my family needs me and i gotta go to like 
some far distance country and I turn into Liam Neeson from Taken, I can save my family. Like I'll do whatever it takes. Like they're the most important thing in my life. And I, the way you have talked about your dad, I think is very reminiscent of how I would talk about my dad, like hero-esque, hero status. Um, so uh, that's really cool. I'm pausing for a second. Pausing, pause, pause. <laughs> no, but um, I think coming back over, we just talked about that facade that we might be able to have before we kind of, and you said those things about um, successful and what success looks like. I was part of a, a study that they did with Under Armour and it talked about having, when people have adversarial um, approach and the about self-doubt, like having to challenge your, like the mentally challenge yourself. Uh, do you feel that that has a greater risk of unhealthy habits to have self-doubt or an adversarial approach to some things? Like we have to challenge yourself or is that, um, it just really can be dependent on the person. Cause like for me, I have, I, I do self-doubt all the time. I, I say horrendous things to myself, but I always kind of, kind of come out of that. I can overcome it, but I don't know if that's something to promote to everybody. Well, I'm, I'm very much, a, a, a an advocate of the, uh, of the philosophy that, um, you know, our, our thoughts become our words, right? Our words become our actions and our actions become our fate. Can you say that again? Yeah. So our, our thoughts yeah. become our words. Our words become our actions and our actions become our fate. So I, you know, I, I, I deal with this a lot um, in, in, in my own coaching now. Um, you know, in terms of, of course, I, I can't get into the thoughts. I can't get into the thoughts, um, of, uh, of my athletes, but I'm, but, 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 but I, but I, but I am there at, at, at the origin of their, you know, of their fate, meaning I'm there and I read their, I read their words, right? Now, sometimes I, I read their words that they post on social media. Um, and I also read their, their, their feedback, uh, through the, the, the training platform that, that we use. And I do a lot of, I do a lot of redirection with my athletes. Um, again, at the origin of, of their words as a preface to the actions that they may take. And again, uh, <laughs> practice enough actions repeatedly and it becomes your fate it becomes, it becomes who you are. So again, I, 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 I can't directly influence what's in their head and I can't, I can't, I can't redirect or correct that, but I can redirect or correct it once, once those thoughts become words. So we do a lot of that in terms of, uh, in terms of, in terms of negative self-talk. And I, I feel very, very strongly about, uh, about, about how, detrimental that negative self-talk can be and negative self-talk always starts with negative self-thought mm -hmm. right and again i can't get in their heads but i can intervene early before those negative thoughts turn into negative words and those negative words turn into negative action it's much more difficult to correct negative action 
it's much easier to, to, to correct it in the earlier phases always. Right. Um, so I, 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 I and, and the opposite of that also holds true. I, I, I really feel that, 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 that a positive outlook results in, in positive words and positive words result in a, in, in positive action and positive action helps an athlete or in, an individual move toward the person that they want to be. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really big, big deal for me. Um, you know, this, this negative self-talk that turns into uh, negative, negative inner self-talk that turns into negative outer or outward self-talk. Huh. It's in, so like we, and we shared that the last time our first meeting, um, I've not had the, I haven't had a mental curveball from many people in my life. And you, you were one of them that threw me a mental curveball. I wasn't ready um, to have a share a moment that was where we are now, like becoming pretty instant friends. I was, I was ready to come just be loud and brass. But like one of the things you talked about was the promotion of the warrior mentality and how you saw that. And I, without even us talking, we never even talked to each other. Um, I showed up. And I came to a race because I didn't want to lose the title. I wanted to at least fight to keep the title and see what happens. Just like a title, like a boxer. And I made that my game. It's a game. Some people have that in their head. And um, I think I have a healthy relationship with things that I can do, that I can do. I also have a, it can also be really unhealthy. It can be unhealthy, um, which we can get into. I'm going to get some free therapy in a minute. But, um, one of the things we talked about was the warrior mentality. And can you, do you promote that for your athletes? Cause I, I personally feel like everybody should in, em, empower that at some level. Like how do you introduce someone into the warrior mentality at the initial, like dipping their toes in the water to being a warrior man, having the warrior mentality? Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I do. Uh, I, I, I do teach the warrior mentality. I practice personally and professionally the warrior mentality the introduction the introduction is the movie free solo the movie about free soloist alex honnold now my toes are tingling just thinking about that guy man i i i i am not a fan of heights in fact in fact i watched the movie before i knew the connection um between uh honnold and uh, one of the books that I recommend all my athletes read, I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. So I, I actually, I actually watched the movie before I really understood the, the connection, interestingly enough, between Honnold and the, and the, the, the philosophy and theories that I teach around warriorship. Um, my, my kids wanted to watch it. So we rented it, um, here and, and it was on demand. And, uh, I, I did not want to watch the movie. Uh, I, I mean, I, I had seen some of the trailers and I like, no, I mean, I'll, it literally, it would have been, it, I was, I perceived it as a two hour anxiety fest for me. I just, that stuff doesn't, doesn't, I mean, it, it really, it creeps me out. I don't like it. Um, like you said, <laughs> your toes were tingling just thinking about it. Um, but I, I encourage all of my uh, all of my new clients to uh, to watch the movie, and then the way I the way I set it up is is this way. I said, you know, watch the movie, and and think to yourself, what if I was able 
to direct the same focus and attention to my sport that Honold did on, on the wall. You know, thousand free soloing a thousand feet in the air, right? One wrong move is his death. Yeah, splat. What what if you what if you could teach yourself to have the same focus and attention and execute that focus and attention in anything you do, not just in your sport, but in anything you do. Interestingly enough, Honold uh, is a follower of the Rock Warriors Way. The Rock Warriors Way is a book that I stumbled upon as part of my as part of my warrior study many years ago. I was I was I was reading as many books on warriorship as I could possibly get my hands on. The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, uh, it, you know, it, one example of that. Uh, Zen in the Martial Arts, uh, a great little a great little paperback book that you could read uh, in a in a morning's time. Uh, and as part of this warriorship uh, study that I was doing, this book, The Rock Warrior's Way, was referenced in another book. So I, of course, picked that book up. Well, when I read that book, The Rock Warrior's Way, it's 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 actually technically it's a mental training guide for rock climbers. I'm not a rock climber. In fact, you, you know, I just described how uh, how much I don't like heights. Um, but the book was mentioned in this other book that I that I enjoyed. And so I, you know, I gave it its fair due. I, I read this book, The Rock Warrior's Way by Arno Il, by Arno Ilgner, uh, a very famous uh, rock climber uh, in his time. And boy, as I, as I read the book, man, it had, it, it had some really profound lessons that it, that it taught that I immediately saw would, would, would be applicable outside of the sport of rock climbing. So the second time I read the book, instead of any time that I would see the, the phrase rock climbing, I would substitute in my sport. At that time, it was trail running. And so I reread the book, but instead of, instead of reading rock climbing, I read trail running. Of course, there are technical sections of the book that I'd largely just skipped over, but there's a lot of the book that talks about this mental training approach. And as I said, Honold was a follower of the Rock Warriors way. Um, there's the connection between the movie Free Solo um, and, the, and the Rock Warriors way that I, that I teach. Um, it has been, now not, not, Truth be told, not every athlete will embrace that that mental training approach. I mean, that's fine. I don't I don't force or compel anyone to to follow it. But I will say that those athletes who have embraced the Rock Warriors way, they have unlocked levels of performance um, that that they that they never dreamed that they could they, that they could achieve. And I'm not saying it's entirely due to, to the mental training, but I'm not saying it's not. Like we, cause we talked about last time that double-edged sword, like the mentality, the mental side has to be as sharp as the physical side. It yeah, has to, you got to have that balance. It's ironic you say that. Cause I read, uh, art of war and implemented instead of war, it was implement like preparation or running. It was either preparation or running. And it, cause how they developed the art of war was mostly about you, you end the war before you fight. And I always thought if I'm going to go to a start line, I'm going to look down and I'm going to have that smile or I'm going to have, as one of your athletes said, like I have that race day face. And he said, when he, I have that face on, it's untouchable. Like I'm like that. There's certain athletes, you know, that when they show up a certain way, they're untouchable. You're not just, you're racing for second. And if I could show up 
mentally prepared and I knew there's a difference between what you think and what I know. If I know it and you're thinking it, we got a huge gap already. Um, and like mentally, it's not, that's not a really, and you can always apply it to not just winning first place, but it's maybe running a section of a course that you had to hike last time. Maybe it's running a downhill. Maybe it's, maybe it is just finishing. And I think that's a, a real cool, that's cool because last time we talked, you said something like coaches, coach habits and athletes create performances. And so allowing your athletes to open up a door to create an opportunity for a performance. That's awesome. That's cool. That's funny. I like that. We, that's, this isn't scripted by the way, everybody, this isn't scripted. This is me. <laughs> it, is, it is absolutely not scripted. No. <laughs> so you got, <laughs> so you got 40 years of athletic activities plus 25 specialized years in the field um, of what you're, what we say is experience, uh, is when did you start to feel like I'm experienced? Was it experiential knowledge? Was it the, was it the reading? Like, when did you take on, like, I, I could feel it. I know it. Cause I just talked about how, you know, when did you know I'm experienced? I'm taking my confidence step forward. I'm leading people to their promised land. Like, how did it all happen? When did you start feeling experienced? I, that is. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we necessarily ever, ever, ever feel that break point from not having enough experience to having enough experience. I mean, I've always been, I I've always been a, uh, a voracious learner. Um, I mean, a, a, as anyone can, can appreciate, you end up learning far more, uh, once you begin to practice your profession than you ever did in the didactic preparation you know, in the six years of, of higher education, four years as an undergrad and two years as a grad student. Um, I mean, I, I learned a lot of book stuff, but I learned far more um, in the, you know, in the six years after graduating than I did in the previous six years of, 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 of formal education. So early on as a voracious learner, uh, I, you know, I, I acquired as many specialized uh, certifications as I could possibly get my employer to pay for. Um, and, um, you know, interestingly enough, early on, um, I felt the need to, I felt the need to justify who I was professionally by listing all of the letters of the alphabet from all those certifications after my name. And and, and it actually got to a point where it was, it was, it was actually a little bit ridiculous because the, the letters that preceded my name were more numerous than the letters in my name. <laughs> okay. And at some point it, you know, I, after, you know, after typing it for the millionth time and some professional correspondence, you know, I, I began to think, you know, I, wh why, who am I doing that for? Because I, literally, 9999 people out of a thousand who would that would read these letters after my name I had no idea what those letters stood for. I mean it looked impressive but 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 what did it really mean? And 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 at that point when that when that realization finally dawned on me I just stopped doing it. I stopped I just I just listed my name. 
I didn't list my master's degree and the and the four other specialized certifications that I held at the time. All these just alphabet soup. So maybe Josh, maybe maybe it was at that point that I realized that that I didn't need I didn't need to make myself to to be something that you know more than what I was just because of the fancy letters after my name. That I was secure enough in in who I was professionally and what I knew that I could just present myself as Chris J Dunn. That's all that I needed. So, I mean, I've never thought about it that way. And I don't know when that was specifically, Josh, probably a decade or so into my professional career. That was probably the time that I, that I felt like that I had, I had put in enough time that I was pretty secure in, 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 in what I did and, 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 and how I did it. What do you, what would you say you're like, we talked about high performance habits. What do you, what's your greatest highest, what's your greatest high performance habit that you do for yourself to in uh, moving forward from there? Like, okay, I'm dropping those letters. I got me. I know me. I'm ready. This is my go-to habit that if you have to look back and like coin this habit of like how you built that, like what's your best high performance habit that you kind of rely on now that you have that experience and experiential knowledge. Yeah, it's, it's simple. I mean, my, my superpower is consistency all day, every day, twice on Sunday. So like, if you had all these, like, so we're going to be 61 eventually, like the last 60 podcasts, I would love to like have a counter of how many references, not directly maybe saying, but like consistency and dedication. Those are the two reoccurring themes. And that literally is my next uh, piece. The reoccurring theme or conversation is around consistency, dedication. How do you foster, develop, and instill this practice? Um, Because you're living it. Like you said, you're living that yourself. Does that make it easier to like show your athletes this experiential knowledge? Or do you kind of put yourself back and just rely on... um, the words of consistency and dedication and using other, how do you, yeah. How do you show that? Does it differ from athlete to athlete? Just ask like 16 questions. Which one do you want to start with? (laughs) But consistency, dedication, you practice it. Are you a guy that says it works for me? It doesn't seem like you are. I know you're not. How do you instill it in others? Yeah. I, um, I, I coach it more than I show it. Okay. Okay. And what's that look like? Well, I mean, occasionally, very rarely, and only in private conversations with athletes, will I share with them my productivity, my own physical, my own personal productivity. And oftentimes, it's not, it's not to, it's not a, hey, look at me. It's I'm, I'm doing that because, because, because my experience of the last couple of years is the best representation of of consistency that I can that I can show to them. Good evidence. It's it's good evidence. But I don't make a I don't make a point. I don't make a point to be to be, you know, drumming my own drum about that. I mean, I, you know, as of today, I mean, it's May 25th that we're taping this podcast. Podcast will be released in early July, but it's May 25th. And um, I'm on I'm I'm working to finish year four of a of a of a daily exercise habit. I haven't missed a day of exercise since November of 2019. 
Now, I don't make a big deal about that. I mean, I'm talking about it now only because you sort of you brought it out. But otherwise, I don't make a big deal about that. For me, it's a, it, 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 is, it is the most obvious representation of the, of, of the value and benefit of consistency. But I don't, you know, I, I, don't, I don't put that out there. I don't think it, I mean, it's, it's only valuable to me. Uh, it, you know, it's not valuable. It's of no value to me that other people would see that and would, and would give me a pat on the back. I don't, that doesn't, I, I don't find any value in that. I, I, I have a tremendous amount of personal satisfaction in that. And I don't really have any value in external validation. Um, how does that, how is it manifested? Well, and, and this kind of gets to, to how I coach consistency, how I coach consistency. Well, first of all, how I have, uh, how I have been able to develop consistency. And so therefore how I coach consistency is with something very simple. It's, it starts with vision. It starts with having a clear and compelling image of who I want to be. And it's so clear and it's so vivid and it's, and it's so compelling that, that I will execute on my, on my one thing, on the, on the thing I need to do today. I will execute on that whether I feel like doing it or not. Feeling like doing it is, is, is not part of the equation anymore. I will get it done because I know that that, that, that is helping me, the execution of whatever it is that, whatever it is my one thing is today, the execution of that is helping me to move one step closer to realizing my vision, the person that I want to be. I need no external validation from anybody else about that. That's why I don't, nobody knows what that vision is other than me, but it's so compelling for me that that's what drives my productivity. And ultimately that's what drives my consistency. Now you don't have to exercise daily. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I coach is I coach, I coach my athletes to develop a compelling vision, a compelling image of who they want to be. And, and, and from that compelling image of who they want to be, that'll drive productivity because all of a sudden now you don't need external motivation, that compelling image, that's your inspiration. I've talked about this a number of times on a, on a, on a few podcasts recently, and I love this analogy, motivation versus inspiration. Motivation is a pushing force where inspiration is a pulling force. Now you can be you can be externally motivated. You know I can watch hype videos on YouTube and get pumped up. That's external motivation. Um, I can be you know if in in if I was in a if I was in a traditional work environment, I may have my boss cracking on me saying you need to increase your productivity. That may provide me with some motivation. I may be self motivated. You know I can I can create some excitement and some energy to get done whatever I need to get done today, but. But that's all a pushing force, pushing me toward my goal. The problem with that pushing force is it's very temporary because those, those, those pushing forces, they're not there all the time. We can't rely on them, right? Motivation is great when you feel it, but, 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 the, uh, but the befuddling thing about motivation is that sometimes it just disappears. And when you rely on it to drive productivity and all of a sudden it's gone, 
you're sort of left in a standstill. I don't know what to do because I'm used to somebody pushing me. What I would much rather do, not only for my help facilitate for my clients, but I've also done this myself, is to create inspiration. In other words, imagine, imagine tied to the vision of who you want to be. There's a rope. And that rope has been unfurled. And the other end of that rope eventually is, lies at your feet. Well, you have an opportunity to pick that rope up and to begin to pull either yourself toward that vision or that, or that vision toward you. Either way, you are pulling yourself toward the person that you want to be. That's inspiration. Now, inspiration can come internally. Um, uh, we, we, we can begin to, you know, by, by developing and fostering this vision of who we want to be, that helps to create inspiration. Josh, we can also have what are called agents of influence, people in our lives that inspire us to work toward being the person that we want to be. I think as a coach, I think as coaches, I think we are less motivators and more agents of influence. I mean, truly, if we're doing it right, we should be, we should be helping guide our athletes to, that, to the other end of that rope so that they can pick it up and they can begin to pull themselves toward being the best version of who they want to be. For me, my hope is that I'm an agent of influence, not a motivator. You like the flower, you pick it. You love the flowery water. Discipline, I love it. So who inspires you? Like what, Like your first go-to, who's inspiring you? I know it's a cliche question, but you said it. Who is, who is an inspiration to you? Yeah, I mean, it's that, um, it's that athlete who, uh, who, who overcame alcoholism to become uh, an, an age group champion. To, to, to qualify for the Boston Marathon, to eventually qualify to, you know, to go race Kona. Maybe a decade earlier, you know, was, was, was blacking out after, you know, after, after, after all day binges. It's that athlete who has, uh, um, who has because of injury or illness has had to switch their primary sport. Maybe they were a runner, can't run any longer because of, because of injury they switch to another sport rather than rather than getting mired in self-pity. They just they they make the switch. They transition into an entirely new sport and they lean in on that. Um, it's the it's the athlete who's the mid to back of the pack athlete who who frankly is working just as hard as the athletes that are finishing in the top 10. Right, the performance ends up being different, but the effort is the same. It's those people who, day in and day out, for 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 you know, for an entirety of a of, of a training cycle, for a four month period of time, will lean in on their training, not to chase a podium, but to be the best version of themselves. Those are the people that inspire me. Right, for me, Josh, it's never been it's never been the professional athlete. It's never been the elite athlete. I don't really get much from those stories, quite honestly. I admire those people, I, I, and I and I, I I can have admiration for them, but I don't necessarily draw any inspiration from them. I draw inspiration from the comeback stories, the stories of people who have overcome adversity, 
and who and who have become the best version of themselves despite the odds. Those are the people that inspire me because because then it's it's really easy for me to look at my challenges and to put those challenges in perspective. You know, I'm healthy. I I have a I have a great family. I have all the resources that I would ever need. What challenges do I have? You know, what are my excuses? Why aren't I working to be the best version that I can be? Why? That's where I draw inspiration. I dig that. And you just talked about um, your family. You ended that with like, you know, your, your family and you have that. So your father said as, as you were growing up that you had every opportunity to be successful. They tried to give you every opportunity. Your parents tried to give you every opportunity to be successful. Your father said you had little restrictions because you were highly trusted. Um, he said you were quiet and private, great friend to other kids. But he had a question of that he would like to ask or know about that he never asked you. And it kind of goes with the, the inspiration question. It's like you've physically put yourself in a position to be healthy for over 40 years consistently through dedication. So when I talked to your dad, he wanted to ask that question of essentially how have you been able to wake up every day with the meaningful mindset to focus on physical and mental health every day for 40 years? He wa- that's a question your dad asked that I could ask you. Okay. Well, you, okay. So you did your research. You, you reached out to my old man. Yeah, I'm not coming on here with nothing. <laughs> well, because I, the reason I wanted to ask your dad is based back, I said it before, the way you talked about your father is the way that I talked about my father. They, they have hero status in our lives. I think that um, they are pillars of why and who we are right now. My dad asked me, villain or superhero, what do you want to be? Um, your dad said you had no restrictions because you didn't need them. So the way that you talked about your father inspired me um, and gets me excited to, to – like I'm going to call my dad right after this because I'm, I'm going to call my dad right after this. I'm going to tell him I love him because um, what he means to me. And your conversation with your dad because I listened to the podcast because I was going to be on, fourth, but I was going to be on. And I just – I thought it was really important um, because my next question – comes back to that fitness, that physical fitness activity. And he wants to know 40 years, mental and physical health. Well, it, so it, it's funny that my father would, would ask that question because he knows <laughs> that the answer to that question involves him. Um, but I'm, <laughs> okay. He, he knew that he, he knew that's why he wanted you to ask that question because he knew that he was going to be part of the answer, but I'm going to throw him, uh, you mentioned curveball. I'm going to throw him a little bit of a curveball because right. because the answer to that question, how is it that I have for the last 40 years, uh, uh, you know, b- been able to get up and 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 dedicate myself to to be the best version that I could possibly be? Um, again, in 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 all of the ways that I described myself right at the beginning, um, because I I mean, my hope is that is that my approach to fitness is the same approach that I take to, to being a son and to being a brother and to being a, a father and a husband and, uh, and, uh, you know, and all of those things. Right. 
Uh, I mean, you specifically asked about fitness. So how have I been able to do that? Well, um, really, the, the, the two profoundly important people in my life um, that, you know, that, that, that helped me and shaped me in becoming the person that I am today is, of course, my parents, my, my, my mother and, and, and my dad. My mother taught me integrity. You know, if you say you're going to do something, you do it. Now, that also applies to any internal dialogue that you have. If I make a commitment to myself that I'm going to exercise tomorrow, Then to be then, then 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 to uphold your integrity, you need to you need to you need to follow through with what you said you're going to do, whether you said it out loud to someone else or whether you said it to yourself. Mm-hmm. So my mother taught me integrity, and I think I think having self integrity, having that integrity, following through, doing the things that you said you're going to do, I think is a really big key to um, to the to the to the consistency. Um, that I've been able to uh, uh, to demonstrate over the over the last many years, and of course, of course, my father. If I had to kind of boil it down to one word, you know, it's dedication. You know, you got to be dedicated. What is what what's what's his famous expression? Uh, 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 show up first, leave last, something like that. He'll um, he'll remind me that I got that wrong. But that, the idea is right. You want to be the first one there, and you want to be the last one to leave. Yeah. And he lived that. I mean, of course, you know, growing up the son of a football coach, and this is what I heard, you know, uh, 24-7, 365, round the clock. Because he was never not coaching, you know. I mean, even when he wasn't in season, he was still coaching. He was coaching my brother and I. He was coaching us up at the dinner table. He was coaching us up as we were mowing the lawn. He was coaching us up as we were raking the leaves. He was coaching us up when we were parking the cars, right? I mean, he was always, he was always coaching. Um, and so – Integrity, I learned from my mother. You know, if you say you're going to do something, whether you say it out loud to someone else or you make a promise to yourself, you've got to keep that promise. And then, and then dedication, you know, and all the things that go along with dedication. Because you can't have ded- you can't have dedication. What well, hard work and dedication sort of walk hand in hand, don't they? Uh, yeah. a- almost always and all the time. So those are probably, oh, certainly. Those are the two reasons why I've been able to do what I've done. I dig it. So you recently, uh, we reconnected post that time and we had some conversation. COVID did a lot of stuff for people. I don't want to talk about COVID as a crutch because I don't think, I think it was a blessing. I, I don't, I understand it was hard times, but I mean, it's like people not being able to get back out post COVID um, because of just not being, like you said, motivated or inspired. And I always thought motivations like caffeine inspirations like hydration like you you can't get hydrated off the you can get you're gonna get jacked up for a little bit but it's gonna wear away you're gonna be hydrated uh we have this like reinvent re-engage refocus these re-moments um you you went for one you put you set yourself a goal with the javelin uh you put the goal ahead of yourself you talked it into existence another jim dunn uh stable at the household of the household talk it into existence um and that's was i was raised in the same thing put it out there and then own it. Uh, what was your catalyst to re-engage your own athletic practices uh, recently? Like to really get back. Cause I think if we, if we do some Facebook and, and some, 
seems like the last four years you've been chiseling up, bro. We might have to get Wada down there to test that blood. Um, it seems like you really rededicated yourself to a mindful practice that was coming out in the physical form. Yeah. Well, I mean, for for years, um, I have I have preached that as we get older, strength training becomes increasingly more important. I mean, we, we, we should be so fortunate to always have the option to, to do both endurance activity and strength training. But if we had to pick one or the other, as we age, the choice is always strength training. We lose skeletal muscle at a much faster rate than we lose, than we lose cardiovascular function. And we lose cardiovascular function as we age, but the, but the age is associated loss of skeletal muscle is much more rapid than the deterioration in cardiovascular fitness. And yet strength training is a largely uh, underappreciated, sometimes ignored modality when it comes to endurance athletes in particular, obviously, yep. uh, I mean, there are, there, there are some sports that are, that are strength training dominant. Uh, those aren't the athletes that I'm talking about. I'm talking about endurance athletes. And I, while, while I do bristle at being pigeonholed, uh, um, you know, as any particular type of athlete, I consider myself just an athlete. Um, truth is I, I have, I have, I, have, uh, I, 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 I built a couple of businesses, uh, around endurance sports, specifically trail running, snowshoe racing and, and mountain running. So I have, I have, I have dabbled in those sports for, for many, many years. I've always done strength training. Um, but, but, you know, there came a time a couple of years ago that, um, you know, I, 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 I kind of realized that, um, that, that maybe I was holding on to those sports a little bit too tightly for not the right reasons. I'm talking about trail running and mountain running and, and, and snowshoe racing. I love those sports. Um, and I, again, I, I, I own a couple of businesses around those sports and I have an amazing network of, of friends around those sports. Um, but I, but I, but I, but I really needed to do a deep introspective into, you know, what, why do I do what I do? Do I, am I doing things for the validation of other people? Am I doing things for the kudos, you know, for the likes, um, for the heart symbol. I mean, is that why I'm doing things? Um, and so, it, you know, it was at, it was at that moment combined with this, you know, this voice that I've had in my head, cause I've been saying it for so long that strength training needs to become increasingly more important as we get older, that I made the, I made the conscious decision that I was going to really lean into strength training as, a, as my predominant modality. I still, I still, I still perform endurance activity every day. I either run or ride daily, um, but, I've, but, I've, but really dedicated myself uh, to strength training. I love being in the gym. My, my, my dad uh, uh, brought me to the gym when I was 13 years old, right? Um, top form fitness center. He's going to say that it was a different club, but I'm going to say it now. It was top form fitness center in Dover. Um, and man, that was such a proud moment. I was 13 years old and I got a chance to go to the gym with my dad because, you know, the, the high school football players were, were all working out there. And uh, I mean, literally, I've been in the gym, you know, for the last well, 41 years, I'm 54 now. Uh, been there, the, been in the gym the entire time. I love being in the gym. Um, and so, 
because I love being in the gym. I love, the, I, I love the, I, I, I love the physical transformation that strength training has for me. Um, I don't get the same physical transformation through endurance sports. I mean, I feel fit obviously when I'm running and riding at a high level. Um, but I don't, I don't get the same personal satisfaction when I look in the mirror. I, I, I get that satisfaction from, from, from dedicating myself uh, to the gym. So I haven't abandoned endurance activities and I haven't abandoned endurance sports. I'm, you know, I'm, you can follow me on Strava. I'm still riding and running every day. Um, but I've, but I've really leaned, really leaned into strength training. The javelin thing came about a couple of years ago when I was contacted by, uh, by a friend of mine, um, uh, who asked me, uh, if I could coach her in the hundred meter dash that she was training for the New Hampshire senior games in the hundred meter dash. And, um, she wanted to know if I could coach her, uh, if I could coach the starting block technique. Josh, I've, I've never, I never have run the hundred meter dash competitively. I mean, anybody that knows me knows that's pretty funny. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not fleet of foot. I threw the javelin in high school. I didn't run track in high school. Um, but as an exercise physiologist and as a professional coach, I feel like I, I'm sure like you, I can coach anything. And someone comes to me, yeah. Someone, comes to me, yeah someone says, Hey, I, I, I want to compete in whitewater paddling. Okay. I can coach that. Uh, I mean, I've never, I've never done it, uh, competitively, but I can coach it. I can understand it. And so, uh, so I, I worked with her, um, for, uh, for a summer, uh, a, a couple of years ago, uh, we would meet at the UNH track, uh, and we would work on starting block technique and I'd film her and we would break it down. And, and, uh, uh, it was great as part of that conversation. Again, she mentioned to me that she was training for the New Hampshire senior games. And she said, and you should do it. I said, well, I, I don't run track. I, I mean, I, I run, but I, yeah. Anyway, I was curious enough that I went home and I looked at the New Hampshire senior games website and scrolling through the sports, you know, shuffleboard and tennis and, and badminton and there's swimming and there's all the track events. There's also field events. And I noticed that the javelin was one of the field events at the New Hampshire senior games. Of course, I have a history of throwing the javelin, but it's a very remote history. I threw the javelin as a senior in high school many, 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 many years ago. 1987, uh, right? 1987. Right. Was when I graduated. Right. So, um, and I actually held, I actually held the Dover high record in the javelin for I don't know, 20 years before it eventually was broken. Um, it wasn't a terribly impressive throw as a high school senior, but it was, it was, it was, it was enough to, at that time, um, uh, uh, have the, uh, the Dover high, uh, record in the javelin. Anyway, um, that intrigued me. And I, and I, I love the idea of, of, of not being defined by other people, you know, Chris Dunn. Yeah. He's a, he's a trail runner or he's a mountain runner. Next thing you know, you're looking on social media and you're like, what the hell is he doing? He's throwing the javelin. I, what is he, what is that? Like, I like that. I like, I, I like, I like pe keeping people off guard. I like people, I like keeping people guessing. Like, what is he, what is he doing? Is he, I mean, is he, is he, is he a wannabe bodybuilder? Is he, is he, is he, is he, is he a javelin thrower? What, what is he? I like that. Um, because I don't, I would rather, I would rather me define me 
then mm-hmm. other people define me. I feel the same way. That's exactly. I, I, I'll give you my definition, and we'll figure out what day it is. But you're not, you can define me, but you're, I'm going to defy you. Um, it's going to be an issue. That's funny because then you jumped into 5K too. I did jump into the. I remember I did, correctly. Yeah, I did jump into the 5K, and as I as I'm sure I I told you that story that. Um, looking at the, looking at the New Hampshire age group record, I felt like I had a pretty good shot. Okay. At the New Hampshire age group record, this would be 50 to 54 year olds. And I want to say it was like, I mean, this is not going to be impressive to you, but this was the record that's on the book. It was like 1920 or something. Um, something like that. Not, I mean, that's not fast for a 5k. I, I get that, but it was the fastest 5,000 meters that had been run by a New Hampshire resident, 50 to 54 years old at the New Hampshire senior games. You get it? You can only beat the people that show up. Only counts who's there. That's only counts who's there. Okay. So I thought, you know what? I've never run a 5,000 meter on the track, but, but I feel like I could probably have a pretty good shot at that. Well, long story long, I finished the race and I look at my watch and I'm like 15 seconds off the record. I mean, I felt pretty good about it. I, it was like six minute miles for a 5,000 meter on the track, 12 and a half laps, right? That's, I mean, just mind numbing. I hate Miserable. It. it was awful. Uh, and it was first thing in the morning and it was probably 80 degrees already, whatever. Um, and I, so I was just off the record. It's fine. I get home and I upload my Strava and I look at the distance. I look at the distance and I, my Strava is actually showing that I ran like 150 meters longer than I should have. Okay. Yeah, okay I, didn't, I, I didn't run, I didn't run 5,000 meters. I ran 5,000 meters. I ran 5,150 meters, something crazy like that. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell, what happened? Of course I lined up where the, where the USATF, uh, 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 Marshall who was starting the race, I lined up where he said to line up. Wouldn't you know that Marshall had us starting the 5,000 meters at the wrong spot on the track? You're lined up at the 3K spot. Whatever it was, yeah. whatever it was. And then every lap we ran, we we ran an extra an extra 10 meters oh, until it eventually oh, added up. Until it eventually added up and we were 100 or plus meters more than we needed to run. When I started to do the quick math, Josh, I realized, you know what? I was literally, I was only like a second or so off of setting that record. <laughs> I would have killed somebody. <laughs> if I had, if I had actually run 5,000 meters, not 5,120 something meters. Oh, anyway, um, that, that lit a fire in me. Um, I'm actually registered again, even though I haven't been able to run the last month because I, I jacked up my knee, but I'm registered again for both the 5,000 meter and the javelin. Uh, I'm now uh, technically I'll be 55 this year, right? Cause you're, you race at the age that you are at the end yeah. of the year, right? Yeah. That's USATF rules. Uh, so I'll be 55 in November. So I'm actually in the next age group and the age group records a little bit slower. It's like 1930 something, 1940. It's, it's well within my reach if I can just start running again. Um, so yeah, so that's my that that's my that's my quick story about how I uh, how I, it's not really a quick story. That's the story of how I I got involved in the javelin. Well, it's because you did mention like uh, in the beginning that thirteen years old going to the gym with your dad. Um, not many quarterbacks could bench 
300 pounds in high school. Not many <laughs> could. Um, I'm talking to one who could. Um, another, can you just, we have some, I don't know what your time frame is. I have some stuff to go through. Um, yes, I, I heard about, I was able to look up online a couple things about the 1986 Dover high school football team. And it did seem like there was a little bit of an allure to that group of tides. Um, and so when I talked to, and I, I'm doing what they, you said in the beginning not to do, like I'm bringing up topics without running them by you first. I thought I was being like sneaky in a good way. I don't know. Cause I have another topic to come and I don't know if you're ready for it. Um, but your father said, he had a quote and I was like, well, he, you were the quarterback benching 300 pounds in the weight room, but you also played with some high profile players on that year. Um, what was your, as a quarterback, what did you see your role as? And then can you make, and this is me asking now, not your dad. Are there any links from your ability as quarterback that have continued to be in your life where you're still, what you're, you're still filling the role as day to day, you're the quarterback. Like what was your role on that team as quarterback and has that just continued through your life? Yeah. I mean, I, cause I was a, I was a try captain, um, and, 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 and quarterback of that team. So, um, I mean, I, 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 I mentioned the captain part because, um, I, I wasn't the only leader on that, on that team. We had, geez, we had 20 seniors, I think, um, that year, like we literally could have lined up a senior at, at, at every position, but one on both sides of the ball. Um, and many, and many D- division one football players from that team. That there, were a lo- there were a lot. And I, five to seven. What's, what's that? There was like five or seven or something. Yeah. The research that, showed that, that, that's, that sounds right. Um, and I, I, I was, I was, I was not the most talented, not by any, but not by any measure. We had a lot of really talented players on that team. Um, but I was, but I was a quarterback and, you know, sort of almost by default, um, you know, quarterbacks are, are leaders of the team. I mean, I felt like I felt like I was a leader, um, even 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 if I wasn't one of the best players on the team. Um, and so I I saw my role as 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 a leader. And I I really, really in, enjoyed that. I mean, I, quick story. I my two other uh, co-captains, uh, Dwight Hartman and, and Tom Krause. Dwight was actually recently on my podcast. Um, Dwight went on to uh, uh, to play at Dartmouth, and uh, Tom uh, had a football scholarship at BU uh, for for a short time. BU eventually would discontinue football, um, but 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 uh, Tom was a was was my offensive tackle. Dwight was a fullback and linebacker. They were two exceptional players. They were uh, also uh, best friends of mine in high school. Uh, we were we were co captains, um, and um, where where am I going with that? With, with that, with that story. Um, yeah. You're going down memory lane. That's what you're doing. <laughs> memory lane. Just, yeah. Just, just hit a, just hit a dead end there. Yeah. You're 55. Um, you just said, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I was going with, with, with that story, but well, um, your role was a, you were a facilitator. You were, you were benching 300 pounds. So you must've captured a lot of your teammates attention to get to 300 pounds. Doesn't happen overnight. So you must've put dedication and time into the gym. There's dedication again. There's consistency evidence again. And you must have been, like you said, captain, leader, quarterback. I don't care what – every quarterback in the world has some type of leadership abilities because they have the football in their hands. 
So you were looked at as a leader. And so I feel like a lot of the people in our running community feel the same way about you. Do you feel that's true? Um, as a, as a leader of the, of the trail running community? No, I don't. You don't think, you're not, you don't think you're a, come on, man. You're a, no. definitely, you're, you're a leader in our community as a. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't see it that way. And I actually remembered what I was going to say, what I was going to say. Let me, let me, let me circle back. Cause I, I feel a little embarrassed that I lost that thought. What I was going I'm to say, it. what I was going to say was that, um, uh, of, of the three tri captains, uh, I was the vocal one. I was the one that would give the, the, the pregame speech. Right. Um, and, and I am, I embrace that part of, of, of my role as leader on the team, um, you know, to address the team, uh, before the game, right. As the, as the, as the captain, um, you know, the, the last thoughts before we, before we ran out onto the field, um, you asked, you asked, how did that, how does that translate into what you do today? I think it directly translates, uh, into, into what I do today. Um, but, but, but with a little bit of a twist, I mentioned the difference between motivation and inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, as a, as a high schooler, I didn't really understand how to inspire people. I didn't really understand how to help people find the rope at, at the, you know, that's, 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 that's by their feet and to pick it up and to start pulling toward the best version of themselves. For me, it was about motivation. Um, and, and that's, that's what my role was at that time as, as a motivator, you know, fast forward decades later, and I find myself, um, uh, you know, not as, not as, as athlete anymore, but more in the role of coach. And I'm, I am, as I said earlier, I'm not a motivator. I'm an, I, I really hope to be an inspirator. Um, uh, someone who inspires my athletes to work, to be the best version of themselves. That's, that's how I've evolved, but at the same time, you know, sort of having a, a very similar, a very similar role. I, I wonder, I, we are not, we're close in age, but not that close in age where I, I look at you as a leader in our community. Like I would rely on, uh, well, I have, I called you in, uh, um, kind of on a whim and ha when I was having a, a moment of, uh, I was having a tougher moment and I needed an outsider and enough, but also inside enough. Um, and like sometimes you just hit it off with people and I just trusted you immediately. Um, so I, I hope that, um, the next topic surprise, like I didn't want to surprise you with that, but, um, I do feel that we were able to share like a hard conversation. Um, and I have some of those end comments cause I don't know what, um, like I said, anyone listening, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just asking questions that mean are meaningful to me and hopefully they're meaningful to somebody else. Um, what's a hard conversation that, um, maybe we could have, I'm not putting you on the spot, but like, is there, or is there anything we didn't talk about that could be talked about? Um, especially in the way of a hard conversation between the two of us. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, she's not nothing that wouldn't seem completely contrived and, uh, and, and kind of superficial. I mean, I, Josh, as, as we know, oftentimes um, having to have con hard conversations, um, I mean, it, 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 it's organic in a sense. Um, and, and I guess as I, as I think about, um, as I think about, uh, about these conversations being, being organic, um, 
they also are a long time coming because, mm-hmm. <laughs> because rarely, because rarely do we feel the need to talk about hard things like on a whim. Almost always we've been thinking about these hard things. We've been thinking about them and thinking about them and thinking about them until we finally feel that we're ready to, to reach out to whoever it is and yeah. to bring somebody else into the conversation to get a little bit different perspective. Cause that, you know, sometimes we get stuck in our own heads. Yeah. We, and can't, I think, we can't figure out a way forward. You know? And, yeah. And I, th- I think I said it earlier, like um, never giving up is one of my greatest uh, things that I, I do. I love about myself, but I also understand sometimes I have to let go. And one of our conversations earlier was um, like, you have a lot of aging athletes on the show or people that are probably not, I don't want to say aging athletes. I want to say they're coming into different um, opportunities. I felt that I was an aging as I'm getting older, we have some an aging, but you have athletes that are maybe not going to hit those mile and 5k PRs anymore. We're evolving. Maybe evolutions are better or adapting. And that can be, I feel like a lot of the listening to your podcast helps people like me um, that are possibly struggling with not being relevant in a speedy way or not being relevant in a podium way, but that's a personal thing. And that was one of the conversations that I called you about was early on was just not being um, able to do what my brain said I should be doing, even though I physically fit to do. And I feel like a lot of the, the people on your podcast are just in that celebratory phase. They're looking at what they do as happy. And I think when we talked, I was just really happy. I'm in a happy place. I'm just content. I'm still going to strive for goals, um, but I'm adapting as an athlete. Um, like you said, you inspire. Uh, I'm inspired to see at 50, like when you said, I wouldn't find it impressive. I do because you did it. Like if I can be running at 50, I'm going to be pretty pumped. Like I got a, a little ways to go, but um, I, I think that is inspiring and it is impressive to me. And I think it's going to be impressive to other people because at 50, I got a lot of friends that are my age that are, you could pop them with a pin. They're so plump and they used to be not plump. So they're not living healthy lifestyles, but that was important. But yeah, you know, thinking back to, to that conversation that, that we had, and I don't specifically remember the details, but I do, I do think I remember some of the, the, the overarching themes and it kind of gets to, to what, what you just talked about in terms of um, some people having a hard time reconciling um, the aging process and not living up to their performance expectations. And I mean, this is a conversation that I, I have quite frequently uh, with athletes and I, and it, it's, it reminds me of the conversation that, that we had specifically, I think, um, I think we talked about, I think we talked about the, the, the two parts of self, the ego and the true self mm-hmm. that our ego and, and, you know, when, 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 when people think about um, and hear the word ego, it, immediately you have a negative connotation of someone that has an ego. We all have ego. The, the ego is an important part of who we are. The question, though, is what is forward? Is the ego forward or is the true self forward? Because you always have the option to have one or the other forward. Um, with an ego forward mindset, right? We tend to we we tend to not react positively 
to what we would perceive to be subpar performances. In large part, because the ego wants to keep us fixed or frozen at a previous point in time. The ego hates change. The ego resists change. It retracts from change. And yet, and yet the reality is that, that every moment we live, we become a different version of ourselves. Not an obvious different version of ourselves, but we are not the same version of ourselves in this moment than we were in the previous moment. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for people to, to accept. Mostly because they're in that they're in that mindset, that ego forward mindset, that resistance to change, that need to continuously compare ourselves to other people. The ego, the ego is always caught up in better than or less than. Right. The ego loves to feel better than others. The ego also really will beat us up if if it feels less than. The ego can't accept that we are just as valuable as every as everyone else. We are no better or no worse. That's that that is a reflection of true self forward thinking. So the work really, Josh, is in quieting the ego. First of all, acknowledging that the ego is an important part of who we are. We never want to eliminate the ego. We can't eliminate the ego. And so because we can't eliminate the ego, what we attempt to do is to move it to the background, is to, is to move our true self forward. This idea that, that, that we are no better than or no less than, that we are equal to everyone else. We don't need to get caught up in petty comparisons. You ran, you know. 1500 miles this year. I only ran 950. I am less than you because I ran fewer miles. Um, I, you know, you, you finished the race, you know, at the top of the podium, I finished the race in the back third of the field. I am less than you because you finished the race ahead of me. The true self values, values learning and growth. So no matter our outcome, Josh, you finishing on the top of the podium, me finishing 57th, if I walk away from the from the experience, having learned something about myself, my finish is equally as valuable as yours, regardless of the actual outcome. Um, That's a lot of the work that I do with a lot of the athletes that I coach is to get them to quiet the ego. You know, what's funny is that is I, I, can, I can see and identify ego forward thinking a mile away. I see it on social media every single day, every single day, every day I see ego forward thinking and I, I chuckle to myself. Now, what I rarely see though, interestingly enough, what I rarely if ever see with my long-term athletes and most of my athletes have been with me for five years or longer. Some athletes have been with me for 10 years or more. What I rarely see not never, but what I rarely see from my long-term from my long-term athletes is ego forward thinking. I rarely see them present that on social media because we've worked on it. Now you wouldn't see it, you wouldn't notice it, but I notice it when I see them reflect upon athletic performances specifically. I can see ego forward thinking a mile away, and that that's that a adaptation you got to make. Um, and I feel like a lot of guests have that uh, adapting. I, I'm still working on it. I'm still working on it. It's a, it's a hard lesson. I, mean, I learned the hard way. I don't ever learn the easy way. I learned the hard way. Some, of the, most, I, some of the most valuable lessons are learned that way. 
yeah, I got scars from it all over. <laughs> but um, that's what I think draws me to our conversations with you a lot of the times are that there's a lot of groundedness that comes. And as someone who coaches themselves and runs by themselves, I have a, you know, I run with a, a, a good buddy, um, a couple friends, but I'm outlasting a lot of my former run friends. I really only have like a couple. So it's, it's sometimes I do a lot of training by myself and sometimes, uh, we won't get to that today. I had it ready, but there was a whole, um, mental health wellness. Cause when you get left by yourself for a long time, you can kind of have some, um, unfortunate conversations, but I thrive on that sometimes. Um, can I ask a couple, can we get into that, that realm of like, Hey, you should ask before you do that because I, I do a deep dive. Well, you deep dove onto my social media. So I think it's only fair that I deep dive back into yours. Yeah. Go right ahead, man. The, All right, cool. There's, um, plenty, there's plenty of room in this pool. I like it. Well, your wife plays a, a really large role in your social media, Karen. Um, I think she plays an incredible role in what looks like something that I admire um, as a newlywed myself um, to an absolute smoke show of a wife. I think that there's, there's a lot of like, it's a nice picture that I see that we always present that. Um, and yet it, it looks awesome. It just looks awesome as an admirer. Um, and I just had some questions. If you were going to, how would you describe your wife? Like what are like the top three traits that you could describe her as? Um, well, she, she's in the other room. She, she's listening to my answer, but, uh, but she doesn't know the question. She may, oh, eventually, cool. may eventually know the question. Um, right. <laughs> uh, and if past is prologue, she will likely, uh, she likely will correct me. Um, um, partner. Mm -hmm. um, confidant. Um, cheerleader. Okay. All right. She literally was a cheerleader at Dover High. Did you know that? Did you did you research? Did you research uncover that? Oh, I found it. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, she was a cheerleader, uh, and, and literally, and now and now is a is a cheerleader not only for me but but uh, but but um, but for the for the kids as well. So, um, I mean, it, I could probably spend another hour and a half talking about all the other ways that I would describe her, but that's a fairly succinct. Um, and, uh, I think, I think true representation of how I feel about it. And like I said, I'm running the show today. I was, I'm doing this because I'm interested and hopefully other people are as well, because as someone who I'm really manic, I live like a manic minute to minute. And I think that can be unhealthy for my relationship with my partner, my wife. And I want to be able to like, just, embody other things that I think look great. And I envy, and I, I, I envy, I, I see, and I want to, I want to be part of those healthy pieces. And I think we post healthy stuff, but like you said, social media, is a pet peeve. We'll get into that. Um, how would she describe you in three words? And I know this might be cliche, like, Oh, tell us about your wife. But like, I feel like a lot of what I get from you is that support, that cheerleader, like you have, you have the support to continue doing what you're doing, but mm. how would she describe you? Um, well, again, I would hope just, just like I, just, just like I, I, I prefaced the answer to how my father would describe me. Uh, how would my wife describe me? Um, hardworking, 
Mm-hmm. Um, passionate. Um, sometimes uncompromising. Oh, okay. I like that. <laughs> although I, although I do think that, 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 that an, an important secret to being married for more than 30 years is compromise. I guess when I, I guess when I describe uncompromising, um, uh, it, 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 it's, it's less in the, uh, my way or your way. And it's more in the, uh, commitment, uh, the commitment to everything that I do, the commitment to relationships, the commitment to family, the commitment, uh, to my, to my, to my profession, the commitment to my own personal health and fitness. That's the uncompromising part. Um, I, I, I think that's, that's important to state because th- there's no way that you can, you can stay married for more than 30 years, uh, and, and be uncompromising. Um, you, ha- you have to compromise. I mean, I think that is the definition of marriage. So do you get any boxes today? Anything at mail the house? Do you do any online shopping today? I do online shopping every day. I did yeah. get a pack. I did get a package today. It wasn't a box, but it, it was a package. It was actually in a clear, and it was in a clear bag, um, okay. which I which I always find. I always think that's kind of odd that uh, Amazon would mail something in a clear bag, like for everybody to see what I purchased from Amazon. There, yeah. look, there are some things I don't want people to see that I purchased from Amazon. <laughs> I can I can understand that. I would say when it comes in a black bag, we got a whole different can of worms. But so. Doesn't that make it hard to shop for you if you're always online shopping for yourself? <laughs> I got a feeling you 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 you've been talking to my wife as well. Um, no, maybe. So yeah, Josh. I, look, if I <laughs> if I want something, Josh, I go get it. You know, and that's look, that's that's literal, and 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 that could and that could that could apply figuratively as well. You know, if I want something, I I go get it. Um, we talked Absolutely. about when I said it. I'm a hunter gatherer. I'm hunting down what I want and I'm gathering what I want. My wife says, ironically, that my wife says the same thing about me. She's like, you're so hard to shop for because you get everything. I was like, yeah, I want it. I get it. So I want to kind of go back in time a little bit to 1986 again. The ball just went through Buckner's legs. Mookie Wilson's round in first, going to second. You're a Dover kid. I don't know if you're a Red Sox fan, but that was detrimental to a lot of New England. I grew up right outside the Bronx. So I was. Timmy Tuffle, the second baseman on the 86 Mets, was best friends with my uncle who just recently passed away at the time. So he came over to the house with a whole bunch of Mets swag. It was very interesting. Can you um, – so I also heard – so now we're getting to the end. Uh, there's a lot of things that I'd love to get I, into. I feel like this is kind of unraveling a little bit here at the end, but it's but it's kind of fun. It- okay. It's, it is well because I just have a couple questions. Um one of which, when you do that deep dive into what looks like a really healthy background, so your 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 fitness level is healthy, your lifestyle is healthy. You do are the predominant cook in the house, I'm told, and it's healthy minded. Your family unit has health is healthy with your father and this and that, and your parents, and you're you're healthy with your wife. Going back to 1986, you're going to use your mother's white Bonneville, and you're going to go pick up Karen Casey. What are your top three songs you're going to go to, or do you want me to help you? <laughs> See, <laughs> you know, here's an example of where um, 
you know, I can still remember the scientific names of the blue jay, the cardinal, the mockingbird. Um, but can I remember what was playing on the radio in 1986 in my parents' uh, Bonneville uh, as I picked her up to go to the Strand Theater to on our first date uh, to uh, yep to watch the movie uh, Hoosiers. Uh, see, I was awful at remembering that for so long and because she has reminded me of that for so many years that that was, that was the movie that we saw, uh, on our, on, on our, I don't know, maybe was it our first date or was it the first time we went to the movie theater? What was playing on the radio, Josh? I don't have any idea. You tell me. I'll tell you. Okay. It, it goes kind of similar to, I'd like to get to know you well. I'd like to like to know you well. I'd like to get to know you well so we can maybe, uh, be together. Howard Jones was on the radio. I love, I love me some Howard Jones. In fact, in fact, um, you, you probably wouldn't be surprised to learn that, uh, today actually at the gym, one of my Pandora stations, Howard Jones, he doesn't have a Pandora station. You're feeling dude. He has a pan, he has a Pandora station and it is phenomenal. I mean, it is all those songs, right. From the, from, from the 1980s. I love that stuff. Love me. Some like to get to know you well. I love me some Howard Jones. All right. So without my pride, I'm going to reach out from the inside. In your eyes, the light, the heat, your eyes, I am complete. That's on the list, right? That, that sounds familiar. Yeah. I love that song too. All right. So now I'm going to quote the last song because would you say this is, I was told this might be the number one. There's something in the way she moves. <laughs> what looks my way or calls my name? Yeah, do you know right. who the artist is? Well, of course I do. Yes, because during that same gym session, when I was doing my I was doing my yoga, my soft tissue work mm -hmm. after my workout, what pan what Pandora station did I pull on? JT, little, little JT, James Taylor, who did not have a healthy lifestyle. Uh, no, he no he didn't. No, he didn't. No. Um, but, uh, but he, but Hey, look, he turned it around as well. I guess. I yeah. Um, Hey, I have only one or two more things where we wrap it up back. Yeah. To well, let, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me give this JT reference, couple JT references. Um, my wife's best friend from college who was in, it was in the wedding party, uh, our wedding party, uh, uh friend Katie O'Connell at the Tucker um, and Bloom's house. Uh, what? What? Katie O'Connell is a musician and she played at our wedding, uh, Carolina on my mind. Yeah. I love this. I love some James. Right. Um, and, and, and the other JT reference is, um, my, our oldest two, um, our twins, uh, my son Braden's middle name is middle name is James, and my daughter Madison's middle name is Taylor. Wow, recent graduate too. Is it Madison a recent graduate as well? Congratulations. Uh, well, they they graduated a, a number of years ago. Yes, um, and I and the last JT reference because you mentioned James Taylor is of course uh, our Labrador Retrievers. They're uh, they're AKC names. Uh, uh, Washa Keg's Secret of Life and Washa Keg's You've Got a Friend. Uh, those are their registered AKC names are both uh, James Taylor songs. So there you go. There's a little James, there's a little JT for you.
See, I did some digging because I thought it was important because it comes up on the feed. So like when people go to look you up, they're going to see Karen. They're going to see those references to the Tucker and Boone's house or whatever that's called many times. They're going to see her show up quite a bit. Um, and I did get a playful moment to talk to her because I, I, it's important. My wife's really important to me. And I, I felt like it was a, it, she presents as very important to you as a partner. She is. Um, I also was able to find a photo of a blue speedo banana hammock. <laughs> was it blue? I, it was, I think it was, I don't know if my eyes were all right, but it was, I think it was blue. And I'm just kind of curious why you would feel that when I recreate that photo for you of how to take those steps, to the next legendariness, like, and can you context that photo of the blue speedo? I don't think it was, I don't, I'm not remembering that it was a blue speedo, but I might have, I might have put a filter on it though. But there is there, there is a photo. There is a photo from from way back in the day. This would have been oh boy, it would have been probably very early 90s. Um 90 um well, I graduated from UNH in 91. No, it would have it yeah, it, it would have been the very early 90s, very late 80s. Uh, anyway, after my freshman year at the university of New Hampshire, I transferred, by the way, I went to the university of Rochester for, um, uh, for my freshman year to play football at the university of Rochester. And, um, that didn't really go all that, all that great. Um, I also pledged a fraternity, which I, I, I had no plans to do when I went to college, but found myself pledging a fraternity. Uh, I was the, I was the, I was Again, this probably won't surprise you, but I was actually the the the, the pledge leader for my pledge class. <laughs> I was such a freaking great pledge that they actually made me the pledge leader. I spent all my free time studying my pledge book, and I I rarely went to class. I was I was a horrible student. I uh, it it ended up not going all that well. I ended up having to transfer after my after my first semester at the University of New Hampshire. I mean, at the University of Rochester, I transferred to UNH. I kept up with my class and, uh, and graduated on time, but I'll never forget that. Um, so I, I took summer classes at UNH after transferring from, uh, uh, from the University of Rochester, uh, edit self edit. I actually finished that my freshman year at the University of Rochester. Um, I did go back, um, finished the year, uh, took summer classes, uh, at UNH to, uh, to, to keep up. And then, um, and then I, and then I, you know, I enrolled full-time, uh, as a full-time student. Cause I, anyway, that, that was the way that it worked. Well, when I went to pick up my, my freshman ID, uh, or my ID from the university of New Hampshire, um, you know, they took my, they took my photo. They said, come back in 20 minutes. You get your ID. I went back in 20 minutes. I got the ID. And as I walked away, I quickly looked at it. And when I, and the, the person that I saw in that photo was not a person that I recognized. I mean, it was me but it was, but it was me 50 pounds heavier than I, than I was when I was, when I was playing high school football, like literally a year and a half earlier. Uh, I had, I had, I was, I was not living a healthy lifestyle. I was not living my best life at that time. Um, so, uh, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to, I was going to get in better shape. I wasn't going to play football because I couldn't play football. I wasn't going to be, I wasn't good enough to play football at the university of New Hampshire. Um, so I got into triathlon. Uh, and my dad didn't mention this, but he likes to mention this story that for an entire summer, 
on my very rudimentary computer with uh three by five no not the three by five floppy, floppy disks right? yeah yeah the floppy floppy disks i had a i had a, a nutrition program and i would i would put the new put that floppy disk into the computer and i i entered in i literally logged everything i ate for an entire summer and i printed it out and i kept this log book of everything that i ate um because i started training for triathlon and during that period of time, I actually lost, I lost 50 pounds. 50? I got down. Yeah. That photo, if it's the same photo, I think you're talking about. You look lean, man. Look lean. I was, I was single digits for body fat. I think my body fat was four or 5%. And I was a hundred and I was 150 pounds. I lost 50 pounds. No, you looked, it's a fit photo. That's why I think I should rock it. But I was all, but I was also in my, I was also in my very early, early twenties. Uh, I, I want to say that photo, that photo was taken just before the swim portion of, uh, one of the local sprint triathlons that I was doing, by the way, back in the day, just to be fair, back in the day, that's what, that's what the top triathletes in the world were wearing, man. They were wearing those short suits, man. They weren't wearing the tri kits that they wear today. I mean, you had to put yourself out there, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, and I, you know, there I was and, uh, yeah, that, that's a long, that's a long, long time ago, but, um, uh, but you know, what? In, in my head, I mean, I'm, I'm still that same guy. I don't look that way anymore, but I'm still that same guy. Hey, camp fun in the sun. Karen's been with you ever since <laughs> you feel fine. So I, my last question is can you clarify this quote? This quote came up. I don't know where I found it, but I found it more than once. You can't be a has-been. In order to be a has-been, you ha need to be a once-was. Can you clarify that? Uh, you, you, <laughs> you can't be a has-been. In order to be a has-been, you need to be a once-was. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, think that, I think that quote pretty much speaks for itself, doesn't it? Um, it was, it was I mean, if you're, if you're asking about, if you're asking about me, um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I ever, I ever, I ever once was, um, because I'm always, I mean, I'm always evolving. That's where that quote was Genesis from. It was about how you're always on an adaptive way and you're not done yet. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I get jazzed about taking on on new challenges. I get jazzed about putting myself back in the beginner mindset. Um, I mean, I've, my son and I started playing golf, um, very frequent, very, very regularly the last couple of years. And it's been great to, uh, to spend Fridays, Friday mornings with him, uh, playing golf, but I hadn't, I hadn't picked up golf clubs in 15 years. I mean, I played a lot when I was younger, specifically when I was at Wake Forest. Um, but I, you know, raising a family, being an endurance athlete, and just, it's hard to carve out four hours on a weekend to go play golf. There's so many other things to do, but, um, but here we are, um, uh, playing again. And, um, um, you know, that's a good example of, of, of switching gears, you know, of, 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 of redirecting, of never getting comfortable, um, uh, of, of always, of always pursuing, you know, the, the acquisition of a, of a new skill or a new ability. 
or a new bit of knowledge. Um, and I like that. Um, uh, and that's, you know, and, 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 and that's, that's my approach as, as I age. Uh, I mean, I'm always, I'm always looking for the next thing. What's the next challenge. Um, and it's not that I, I completely ignore the other th important things in my life uh, and, and the things that I've done in the past. I still dabble in them, but I'm perfectly okay with being mediocre in a lot of things. Um, then, 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 then dedicating myself with a singularity of focus to just one thing to the exclusion of all others. Cause I, cause in my experience, I've never seen that work all that well, because eventually that one thing will betray you. You won't be, you won't be what you once was at yeah. some point. Right. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's just reality. And to hang on to that one thing, right. With this, with this death grip, this, this incredible fear of letting go of a past version of yourself, um, I think, I, I think gets people twisted up oftentimes. I've yeah. seen that happen. I've seen that happen, happen um, often enough. And the people that I've coached and the people that I, that I, that I know that I never hold on very tightly to who I was. I'm, I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine uh, with recreating myself. In fact, I, I always look forward to that challenge. Yeah. Well, Chris, I, I, we didn't get to a lot of topics because I think we went into depth and detail on a whole bunch of other ones. It was, this is like, we should have just FaceTimed. This is like a phone call. We're just talking about what we talk about. And um, thank Got you it. for allowing me to every one of my questions. I just wanted to, I wish I could just say it was a form of thank you. Cause I was just genuinely interested in just thanking, like, thank you for letting me be a part of it. Thank you for letting me um, hear about you more as a friend and then hear about stuff I didn't know. And then I think give a lot of helpful hints. I think people, I hope people enjoy it. Uh, hearing from you giving the answers and hopefully the questions were at a level where I thought we, I gained a lot today from myself selfishly. Um, and I'm excited to hear, go back on some of those things we talk about, especially preparation with the coaches and whatnot. Um, so I really appreciate you allowing me to have your time today. Well, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity uh, and and opening up the doors to uh, allowing me to, to to tell my story. I mean, I I have this wonderful opportunity through the podcast to uh, to interject bits and pieces of my story uh, as I attempt to relate uh, my experiences to the experiences of my guests. Um, but 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 this was completely different um, and. Uh, uh, you know, when, when you and I, um, when you and I discussed this idea, I, I was on board with it right away. Not, not because I was, I was super eager and interested to tell my story. Um, but I was, I, it was more out of curiosity. It was more out of, uh, out of seeing you, seeing how you would, you would lead this discussion. Um, and, uh, I was not, I was suffice to say, I was not disappointed. You, 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 you did a remarkable job and, uh, and, uh, it, it, I, I thank you. We didn't, we didn't even get to half of the things. <laughs> I tell you what, if this, if this episode gets, gets at least a hundred plays, then we'll do a part two. I'm only at seven. How do I only have seven plays? I lost four. I had 11 yesterday. I'm down to seven. No, if we get a hundred, that'd be great because I, there's so many things that I, 
like we didn't even talk about an undervalued trait to promote. We there's so many coaching and I have so many questions that I hope people would like. And I just really appreciate. I just hope you know, I, I, I would love to think this is everybody saying thank you, but that's mostly me saying thank you. Well, uh, the, the pleasure is always all mine. Um, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy seeing and helping people, you know, get to the next level and do things on the next level. Um, I don't have to, I don't have to be there side by side with them. Um, but I, but I, I do enjoy following other people's journey. And if in some small way, you know, I've played a role, uh, somewhere along that journey, then, um, you know, then, then, then that's what makes my life rewarding. That's cool. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, man. Thank you, Josh. Well, that was fun. And, and quite a bit of it was exactly the type of conversations we have in private. Is Josh bombastic? He is. Is he also a really good dude? He is that too. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walkable podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow or subscribe button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half Walk Double. So make sure to check it out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.